Hey folks, welcome back to the Recoil Live podcast. I'm your host, Tom Marshall, and with me today is Aaron Quinn, the CEO of Cobalt Kinetics. How you doing this morning? Doing well, man. How are you? Good, good. Excellent. So let's dive right into it, man. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself pre-Cobalt Kinetics? Um, and you know, what did you do before you got here? Uh, the previous 10 years uh, prior to Cobalt, I was in the pharmaceutical space, um, mostly, mostly a consultant. Um, I, I did a lot of data analytics and economics surrounding um, non-narcotic medications and worked with uh, doctors, uh, manufacturers, and, and pharmacies to uh, optimize alternatives to narcotics in, um, uh, in each of their spaces. It's super mean. unique. And so it's tough to, uh, tough to describe the pre the, the, the last two years I was actually, uh, worked as uh, president of a, um, national wholesale distributor. So that's, that's probably the easiest one. Okay. That sounds like a fair amount of number crunching either way. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. So uh, from, I mean, that's a, that, that's a pretty bold pivot from what you're describing to where you are now. Uh, what piqued your interest in cobalt kinetics specifically? Um, you know, kind of what led you to go through that? Like I said, from the outside, looking in what sounds like a, a fairly substantial change for you personally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as uh, Mike Pappas once, once put it um, from drugs to guns, I've, I've kind of just hit rock bottom. Um, <laughs> So, you know, right in the, uh, right in the middle of COVID, well, what we thought was the middle or, or possibly end of COVID at the time in 2020, um, my travel had been cut, um, in, in the pharma world, everyone, like the major, major manufacturers just absolutely cut all, all, all travel. And so I was stuck on, on zoom calls and, um, just the, the misery that that was my previous career uh, became even more miserable outside of the fact that uh, we have a a property here in St. George that we use as as a range. Um, you've been here uh, and, and been on that range, but um, I ended up just using that as my office and we have we have great cell coverage out there. So I would hotspot my uh, my laptop and and I'd work there and in between calls and um, just things that I would do. I would, I, I ended up shooting a lot, like a lot. And I just, the more I did it, the more I was like, man, I, I don't want to be in pharma. Like I, I love guns. I I've got an FFL, you know, maybe I can transition and, and shift on that side. Um, and then uh, a friend called and said, Hey, cobalt kinetics is selling a Connex box. They want like $3,500 for it. It's got Galatech. It's got gun racks in it. Um, it looked good out of your property. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so called them up. I didn't even know Cobalt existed still. Um, I had seen them years prior and saw it on a wall in 2015 and thought, man, I would never own that thing. Um, and then, then I walked into that Connex box to look and uh, it's full of guns. And again, kind of wanting to, to 
make a transition i i asked them like are any of these guns for sale too and they said all of them are you know we're 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 selling off the company and i kind of looked and thought kid i'm not a huge fan of the guns but like maybe there's something here so i left and uh I, I ended up buying one of the guns because I was like, I'm, I'm, I've never shot one. I'm at least going to go shoot it. And um, there was something about the way that it shot that that piqued my interest. Like I, I hadn't shot anything like it. There were things I didn't like about it, of course, but um, I couldn't deny like what I was feeling shooting it. So I went back later that night, uh, made him an offer and, uh, and, it, and it was an asset purchase. So I didn't, I didn't have like access to, um, records or anything like that so the diligence period was was a little bit it 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 was shorter anyway but uh they accepted the offer and nine days later i i signed the the documents and changed my world man that's crazy that's it's like a like a just like that moment huh yeah i mean you know you know uh i don't know if if you watch uh that that old tv show it's uh like on netflix and you can buy it now parks and rec Mm mm-hmm um the yeah. chris chris pratt on there he had a um as andy he, he what was it that he said it was like when they got married or something he, he was like i can't i can't uh i can't tell you how little thought was put into this or something to that, <laughs> to that effect like like we had no thought and that was that was kind of kind of how i jumped in it was it was like spur of the moment and kind of right time stars yeah. kind of aligned and i'm like you know what? I'm, I'm jumping in, I'm going for it. So. That's awesome. Uh, you know, you made a, uh, you made a mention of, of during COVID kind of getting out on, on that range on that property and shooting more and shooting more and shooting more, uh, which kind of is, is that, was that sort of like your really kind of your big step into shooting sports in general, or did you grow up around it or, or how did, how did that work for you? I mean, is this something that's kind of always been under the surface for you? Um, you know, I, th- I think I, I was born with a love of all things uh, weaponry. You know, I, I've always been um, really into history. Um, I grew up in Georgia, uh, born and raised there. And, um, you know, Georgia has a, a, a rich history in, you know, with the Civil War, with um being one of the original colonies and so so history was really interesting to me and um wars um were always kind of my the, i don't want to sound like weird or, or uh, like there's there's You're a, just a, there's, a, a, there's a, a problem, connoisseur but, of military history maybe as a yeah word. i think i think I think the logistical side and the problem solving pieces of war have always been intriguing to me. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I like puzzles. I like, I, I like logistical problems that, that need solving. And, um, that was just that it was unique to me from a historical perspective. I mean, history is basically written by by wars and civilizations and how the human interaction has taken place and you see the progression of um uh, of technology versus how problems are solved and how tactics and how um 
each piece from, you know, ancient wars all the way up until to most recent, you kind of see the human evolvement of, uh, you know, through all of that. Yeah, well, you know, as they say, uh, what's the expression? History is written by the victor. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. like you said, conflict absolutely shapes the entirety of human history in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, kind of to answer your question, so I've I've <laughs> I've always liked I've always liked uh, guns and knives. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't grow up around a ton of guns. My dad had a gun. Um, he had a, a few guns and, but he, he never really, um, understood where my like obsession came from. I mean, I think I got my first pocket knife at age four and have cut myself ever since. Um, I got my first 22 at like seven or eight and it was, it was my dad's from when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up and I lived in Kennesaw, Georgia, which is, is known as the, the city that has the law in the books that says every household must have a firearm. And, uh, I always thought that was super unique and, and, and cool. And we did. And, you know, my dad was never, um, he was never anti-gun or, or wouldn't let me shoot it. I mean, this, from the second I asked him if I could shoot his, his handgun, um, he, he would let me. And, um, so I, I always had access to it. I, I kind of look at it as, um, you know, I'm not a very artistic person. And so paintings and drawings, they have, they have no interest to me, but I always look at firearms and knives as, as functional art. And, uh, there's a uniqueness to them and a, and a science behind it that is super intriguing. That handgun, by the way, is, a is a, uh, 1964 Browning high power T series. Wow. And it's in nice. imma- immaculate condition. And, um, so it's, I think that kind of learning about that gun when I was younger and, and, one, it's, it's uniqueness, it's rareness and how my dad kind of just stumbled into it in a, in a pawn shop in the eighties was, uh, was, was awesome. But like, yeah, so it's, I've, I've always had a, a love for, for the firearm side. So I shot all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that you grew up in that. I mean, ever kind of that there's always that, you know, it, it's kind of well-known in the, in the gun community. I think it is about it, that law that Kennesaw has. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that's, that's, that's where you grew up. That's cool, man. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's pretty, like I said, I've heard that story a couple of times, but uh, never met anyone from there. So that's really cool. So, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's like you said, you kind of grew up around it and, and grew up into it. I, I think for a lot of us, this is kind of a, a, a lifelong passion. And I, I would argue that's one of the things that makes the firearms industry so unique is that it, it I think it is chock full of people who are here because, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a passion industry, right? There, there's lots of people who are here because they have a story very similar to yours. It's just kind of like, Oh, that interest was always there. I grew up shooting a, there's a family connection to it. And I, and I, I, you know, not having worked in a ton of other industries, but um, having been around a little bit, um, I, I think that's, again, I think that's one of the things that sets this industry apart and makes it so awesome, makes it such a great space to work in, is that it is full of people who are here because they want to be here because this is a, it's a passion. It's not what they do. It's who they are kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's easy to do that too. Um you know, my, I, I told you, my dad wasn't a, a huge gun guy. My grandfather was, 
Um, and so the memories that I had as, as a young kid, you know, shooting with my grandfather or, um, looking at and learning about uh, the guns from his era and that he had when he was a kid. And then, um, he, he was a Navy guy. And so, you know, you, you look at your grandparents as, as, as heroes in, in, in general, but then when you can, um, you know, hear that side of, of their story, um, I think it just drives that passion a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of those, a boy and his grandfather kind of thing, right? Like that's a, that's a pretty unique bond. And um, so, yeah, like I said, there's a, I I hear, yeah, I'm fortunate to hear lots of stories from people like that across the industry that are, that's their, Hey, you know, this was my introduction to it. I, I have, I have, you know, very deep rooted fond memories of, that are tied to firearms and the shooting sports and things like that. Um, And, and then here we are and we wind up, you know, we get bit by the bug and, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know, once you get here, if you came in like you did from some other industry, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts now that you're here. It's like, yeah, like this is, there's not anywhere else I'd rather be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, it still has problems. I mean, it's still, oh, yeah. it's still, it's still a business side and, you know, you get people that, that talk about how jaded the, the, the industry has made them. And I can see that. Um, I can certainly see that, but it's, it's, I, I think the key for me over the last two years has been like to not let the passion die. Um, you know, I don't only shoot cobalt rifles now. I don't only, you know, think in cobalt when it comes to guns. Like I buy other manufacturers. I buy, I buy their ARs still. Um, but I really got into um, buying older firearms and, you know, trying to maintain like the fact that, yeah, life sucks sometimes. Business is, is tough sometimes. And, you know, we have stressors and I don't shoot all the time just for, I, shit. I can't remember the last time I shot for fun, but like having at the end of the day, we're, 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 we're still around guns. I mean, we deal with guns every day and I still get to shoot all the time. So, you know, how could that suck? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you mentioned that, that just like anything else, right. No matter how much we love it, when you make it, when you make it a business, it's still a grind and, you know, or it it becomes a grind for periods of time. Right. And, and there are stressors. And so kind of on that note, uh, what, what would you say some of your biggest initial challenges have been in the last, you know, couple of years, uh, in terms of taking over cobalt, what the brand, you know, was previously, and, and, and maybe as a new business owner, uh, what would you say some of your biggest challenges were kind of right out the gate? Um, not having, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before it was an asset purchase, um, prior. And so it came, uh, with, with, with IP, with patents and, um, a lot of inventory. Um, so diligence side was, was super, was super, uh, limited and the challenges became, I didn't know the industry and I didn't know who to ask where to go. And so, um, you know, I, I, I had no intention of maintaining the same builds as, as Cobalt did before, because I had no passion around that. And I didn't, I, you know, I thought there were a lot of, um, you know, the gun just didn't interest me. Um, and this was kind of my opportunity to, to build something I wanted to build. And so, 
I did not realize the reputation and the, uh, the, the, um, the relationships that had either been built or, or ruined in, in the, in the previous organization. And, um, so it was, it was a lot slower of a start than I would have wanted. Um, you know, I joke around with people all the time. I didn't know if going into a store after, you know, a, a dealer somewhere, um, in the first few months, I didn't know if I was going to get a hug or like a punch. Um, and it was, it was, it was that, uh, that polar opposite. Um, and, and it, it was almost 50, 50 that, um, yeah, I'd go to some place and you'd hear, you know, I'd, I'll never buy a cobalt, great guns, but you know, this, this, that, and whatever. And, you know, sometimes I'd be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of the new owners and it's a different direction. And there were some places that were like, yeah, we heard that every six months and I'm going, Oh, okay. Well, I'll come back. You'll, you'll, you'll see that we are different, you know? Yeah. And, um, so it was a lot more of a, of, of a PR first couple years. Yeah. Um, that's, an, that's an uphill battle for sure. I imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the, the slowness there, and then, um, you know, the, the lack of an ability to, to market and to advertise and to show um, everything. I mean, we're so limited. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, but do we? Like, it's, it's really tough to actually gain a market that way. And you can't, you know, um, you know YouTube is something we need to um, really start hammering on. Um, because there still is opportunity there, but it's, that's not my world. And I don't, I don't know it that well. So, um, you know, just that, that the grind of information is, uh, is, is, is something we battle. Yeah. Uh, and that is certainly not, um, you know, that that's, that's industry wide, right. I think that's something that we are all facing that, uh, you know, especially over the last couple of weeks, unfortunately, you know, we've, we've had some pretty high profile um, active shooter incidences and any, anytime mm -hmm. anything like that happens and anytime it's election season and anytime there's a, a, an, a, you know, an ammo panic and anytime anything happens, it's just all of a sudden there's just this, there's this crunch, right? It's a fresh round of talk about regulation, a fresh round of, you know, like social media restrictions. It, it, it's a constant um, uphill fight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I come from the pharmaceutical world, so I'm, I'm, I I'm used to the, uh, the, the misrepresentations I'm used to the, the misconceptions out there, but it's a, it's a different breed when it comes to, to the firearms world. Um, it's, you know, a lot of passion on both sides and, um, it's, it's just something you, you, you weather and you, you kind of, I, I'm, I look at it from a position of, okay, it is what, it is here. And we, you know, it's the same, same things over and over that we deal with. Like, how do we start looking at this very differently? How can we attack this and, and, and change the, the perception or the way that we go about it? Um, removing the passion side, removing the emotion of it. And, um, you know, there, there are several groups and several people that I've, I've become friends with in the industry that have that same mentality. And so, um, you know, I, th I think there are, there are groups and pieces out there that, um, that are making headway on that, on that front. 
I, I, I tend to think that education is the key. Uh, and like you said, kind of trying to remove some of that emotion and just, you know, educating yeah. people. I think there's, like you said, there's a lot of uh, misrepresentation. There's a lot of disinformation. I think, you know, uh, overcoming that is you know, step number one, probably, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's easy to say remove the, the emotion, but one, you only have control over your emotions. You, you have no control over anyone else's. And, and um, just getting a, a, an open ear is uh, that's that's tough in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. So you had had mentioned a little bit about what the brand was, you know, when you took over and about what the rifles themselves were when you first took over. And I remember, I remember the sort of the gen one um, cobalt kinetics rifle. I believe we actually, we featured it on, on the cover of recoil uh, when it first came out. Uh, there were some, certainly some bold steps in terms of innovation. Um, some stuff that, that really had not been done before as much as that expression gets memed to death. Uh, but in this case, I, I think it's accurate, but there was a, you know, since let me, let me rephrase this. Since you've taken over, I think that there's been a noticeable pivot from cobalt kinetics being a brand that I always perceived as, as focused on boutique race guns, maybe uh, high end, you know, competitive, all, you know, go fast and, 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 um, moving in that direction to what I'm seeing from you guys now, which is a, a hard step towards what I would call performance focused duty guns, keeping that high level of performance while increasing ruggedness, reliability, however you want to phrase it. What sparked that pivot for you having coming into the company where, well, the, pro the product was already done basically. Um, yeah. and, and you kind of wound up doing a lot of stuff. I don't want to say doing stuff over, but you guys made some substantial changes or have yeah, thus far. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. So what, what sparked that? Um, well, like I said, when I, I, I bought a gun and took it out, like I, I bought it and drove it over to the range and put a bunch of rounds through it. And, you know, regardless of, of what people thought about the organization, regardless of what they thought about the way the gun looked, the way the gun felt, um, firing the gun was different and it was different. Um, especially in 20, at the end of 2014, when, when cobalt one started, um, and it really got people's attention. Um, I, I would tell people um, that one, one of the legacies of Cobalt One that I wanted to ensure that we, we maintained was um, meeting, the, meeting the market where it demanded. And, and what I mean by that is in 2014, you saw a lot more, um, you saw a want for something different than you know, a standard M4 type rifle. And so, you know, a lot more companies started um, creating billet-based rifle platforms. Um, you saw a, a big push and a big time in the um, three-gun world, the multi-gun uh, competitive side. It was kind of its heyday, um, and Cobalt met that need. 
and met that demand where the market was. Now, was it still a niche market and was it still small? Absolutely, but there was a lot of hype and a lot of buzz around it. And so that's where they, that's where they did things. Um, the rifles felt really unique. They felt great. There was something about it that was, that was handcrafted, that, was, um, that looked at a potential, um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the, 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 the word innovation, but there, there's a lot of um, uh, directional thought into how to make something work differently or what can be done to, you know, quiet the buffer system, for example, um, focus on a, a, a system that tuned the rifle based off of its characteristics, um, meaning caliber, barrel length, things like that. Um, you know, my problem with it was it wasn't, it was, it was less practical in, um, I feel like, you know, the structure of old cobalt and, and I try not to, to, to speak super negatively about them um, because, you know, one, it's a little bit difficult at times because of the kind of the hell that I've been through the last couple of years. Um, but, but two, I, I have uh, a couple employees that, that were over there and they're phenomenal people. And it was, um, it, it was not a scenario where um, I just kept them because it was, you know, I sat down with them. I spent some time, you know, our design engineer in particular, like I contracted with him prior to, to hiring on because I did not want the, the old cobalt to become the new cobalt. Um, I didn't want to fall back into that, that, that way of thinking and stuff. And I wanted to, you know, identify what frustrations they had and then um, make sure that we solved them before we did anything. And so uh, really there's only three people in our organization now that were um, even with the old cobalt, two of them weren't even working for cobalt at the time. Um, um, <clears throat> but so I, having said that, um, I feel like some of the innovations were, were left uh, incomplete, unfinished and had pieces, you know, unintended consequences that, that weren't thought about. Um, the buffer system, for example, I mean, that's a huge one. And it took two years even here to, to move that into a direction that I, I felt super comfortable with, but um, it was overly complicated, but it, it, it worked. And so it was, it was one of those things where it's like, this is super complicated. This is very not user-friendly. Um, it's, it's, it can be finicky if it's not treated correctly, um, but it also still like it works and there's, there's a noticeable difference. So how do we, how do we attack that from a, from a different side? Um, it came, the other side came down to, yeah, I own the company, but I still shot out my BCM rifles for like the first four or five months. And, you know, people got angry with me. People were, you know, like you, you own this company, you need to have it, uh, like you need to be shooting and promoting that. And I'm like, just cause I own it doesn't mean I, 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 I think it's where it needs to be. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I'm not gonna promote the rifle in its fullness, if I, if I can't get behind it, that's just, that's not, I think the best salesmen out there, I think the best representatives out there for an organization are those that have uh, complete confidence and, and buy in on it. And so I didn't have that at first and, and I wasn't going to be a hypocrite on it. And I, um, yeah, I'd, I'd still shoot it occasionally because there's a lot of R and D that went into to the direction we're going now. Um, and there's a lot of that legacy that we wanted to carry over, but it was more of look, you know, Cobalt One wanted to be known as an innovator and in, in an R and D company, 
and and that's great but we need to focus on uh the the development side there and we need to bring it back we need to kind of retro uh like um we need to go backwards in order to gain like rebuild a reputation gain a reputation of someone who can complete the development side and then we can be you know focused on on that r like we can we can then go forward and, and come out with bolder innovations and um bolder um introductions into the market and people will receive it better so that i mean that was that's that's kind of the the direction we've taken and and we've learned a lot along the way kind of our processes um what we want to focus on how we want to focus on them and uh, we've developed some amazing relationships with uh, manufacturers and, and people that, you know, we've done some unique things that, that no one's done before on, you know, in working with those organizations. So to kind of dive into the, the nuts and bolts of, of those points. Let's do it. Yeah. What? Okay. So for those folks out there who maybe have a, a, a Cobalt One rifle or, or have some time behind it or, or you know, read some of the coverage about it and then they kind of have an idea in their head of what a, you know, what an old cobalt look like, ran like ups, downs, all that. What specific changes, you know, you talked about kind of going, going back to move forward. Um, so what, how, ha- so what have you changed? What, so what makes a cobalt current cobalt rifle different? You know, what systems have been revamped? What implementations have you made, uh, you know, to either, like you said, to finish some of that development or to, you know, try and, and, and build a better mousetrap within your own platform. Yeah. So we started out with uh, attacking the chassis um, and, and we do call it a chassis over a, a receiver, um, in, especially internally. But um, we're really trying to change the, the direction there because we do feel that our platform offers something very unique compared to uh, other, you know, the traditional um, M4 type. And, uh, you know, I, I had gone to 2020 shot show, um, and you know, I heard so much talk about different handguards out there, the strength of handguards. And I felt like, yeah, they might be stronger, but it's just a a tweak over what's been around for a long time. And it still had some inherent issues that, um, you know, not, we talk about issues and problems like you can grab a 6920 Colt and it's going to run and it's going to work and it's going to go bang when it needs to, but is it going to go bang in the best way possible? And that's, that's how I, I kind of approach things. And so context is super important to me when, when talking about anything um, controversial or um, even, you know, positive, anything, anything that we, we, we discuss, like, I think, I think a, a big piece of what's missing in our world is, is context. And so if we can, if we can pull, pull what our, what our, you know, thoughts are outside of something and just say, okay, what am I actually talking about when, when we, you know, what is that context? Then it, it becomes a lot easier to have um, conversations. Um, and with, with that being said, you know, I, I never have felt um, the, the barrel attachment piece of, uh, of, of, of an AR it was, was that great. Um, You've got, you know, exposed thread that is about, you know, maybe like about a half inch, a little over a half inch. Um, and to me, that that's an inherent weakness for, for a couple of reasons. You've got a lot of action 
going on. I mean, that's where the round's going to go off. You got an explosion there. You've got moving parts with, um, you know, engagement and disengagement of lugs of the bolt carrier group you, that, you know, that's, that's now slamming back, back in and, and exploding off of it. Um, and everything, you know, weight wise is hanging off of that one area. And so, yeah, I, I think that's probably part of the reason that for all the standardization that we do have all the plug and play ability in the AR platform, ever, there is no standardization for barrel nuts yeah. because everybody's got their own idea of how to optimize that. Yeah. But, but it's all, it's working the, the, the optimization or, or the, the intent to optimize is based off of a standard, um, a fixment point. Like, I don't even know if a fixment's a word, but it sounds great. I'll, um, I'll allow it as okay. an editor. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and so what, what we did was, um, so before I get there, I think inherently you've got whatever attaches the barrel or whatever holds the barrel on holds the handguard as well. And so now you're adding accessories on there, whether it be a bipod, light, laser, um, night vision, thermals, like cross mounting of scopes, all kinds of things that are, that are being attached to something that is attached to your barrel. And you hear this a lot in the PRS world or, or the, the precision shooting world. You know, when I barricade, when I, um, you know, put load onto the bipod, when I do anything that, that puts force onto that handguard, I get a shift in, 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 um, my impact. And so, you know, that there, I call it a, a slaving, like the, the barrel and the handguard are slaved together and they are, they're both affixed to the same exact thing. So whatever happens to one absolutely happens to the other. Um, so I wanted to deslave that and we inverted the threads there and we elongated the, the receiver that, that upper receiver so that the barrel had, you know, the other side of it is it's all threaded. And so you've got thread run out, you've got the potential for high spots on, on that surface where the barrel mates and seats. And so, you know, precision builders will lap that, uh, that, that face so that it sits on something flush. Well, in my mind, it's not necessary. So we, we made that little tunnel there. The receiver comes out, barrel sits on a precision, uh, milled shelf and there's no threads that even go to it. Cause you've got a ton of tolerance that you don't have to, you don't have to have stuff there because you've got a, um, you got a shoulder of the barrel extension. So barrel sits in there, jam nut goes down, screws in a long way. Yeah. It can take like 30 seconds to screw that bugger down, but it's one of those inconveniences. I'm like 30 seconds to get performance out of it. Makes sense. <clears throat> It'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, that barrel nut is, uh, is actually 70, 75 aluminum, you know, most, most jam nuts or, or barrel, uh, uh, retaining, uh, whatever it is devices, what, however you want to say that, um, they're made of steel and that steel cutting on the aluminum. I don't like competing materials that are critical and whether it be because, um, you've got the explosion, you've got heat buildup, you've got all kinds of things going in there. I wanted materials that um, were identical so that the expansion contraction was at the same rate or at least close to the same rate. You're never, they're never going to meld together. So it's never going to create like that complete oneness, but it's as close to it as, as you can get. Um, and then we turn that piece into the, the handguard um, mount 
a uh, couple things like there, there is a downside. The downside is you have to use our handguard. The positive is if you don't like our handguard, tell us what it is. And, you know, if enough people or, or the timing uh, is right on it, we can make changes. Um, but I, I it, to me, the handguard is, is completely utilitarian. Um, if, if you want to design in it, like, you know, something funky or like different things, like we're probably not, it's probably not the, the best upper for you because for me, I look at it and say, you, you'd rather have aesthetics over performance. And, and that's not, that's not what our rifles are about right now. Right. Um, that handguard so, is, a, is basically, it is a mounting platform yeah, for all that, the accessories and ancillaries. And that's all it is. That, I mean, that when it comes down to it, that's what your handguard is. It's purpose-driven. And if it's not purpose-driven and, and it's designed without that in mind, then we're not in a world that, uh, you know, there's not a focus that, that I am focused on right now. Um, again, we're taking it backwards. We're taking the, you know, we're, we're taking a step back and, and focus solely on performance. And then the outcome of that performance or value is, is what drives the, the, the rest of the train. Um, so it's attached to, to the upper, anything now that happens to the upper happens, you know, that it, it's too big of a platform or it's too big of a, a mounting surface to have flex that, that can affect it or have, um, you know, environmentals that can, um, have effect on, you know, anything attached to it. So there's a little timing piece on that so that it lines up correctly. You've got eight screws on it in, you know, a con concentric, uh, pattern. So when that handguard goes on, it's going to go on the same place every time, even the direction that the, the threads are, are, are cut is, is such that, as you tighten it down, it pulls that in and sucks it in super tight up against the, the, the upper receiver. And so, you know, a lot of people look at our guns right now and they call it monolithic. And then they start to realize, oh, well, you can actually take the handguard off and get the stuff. So they start calling it semi-monolithic and it's like a complete oxymoron, but it actually describes it pretty well. Um, Cause you know, it, it that, that old says it, it's that old saying, you know, it paints a picture. Um, you, you can easily understand it. Um, and because it mates together and because, yeah, you only have one thing, the, the, the cool piece was we didn't have to have those thick chunks of Picatinny and try to time it up to, you know, what's it going to work best with. And so when you look down our Picatinny at the top, it's going to be continual. It's going to like the aesthetics remain, it flows correctly. We don't have like gaps. We don't have, um, you know, there's not any offset in the Picatinny. It's all cut on with the same exact tool from, you know, start to finish so that, you know, you can look down the back end of our, of our receiver and it looks like it's completely monolithic and completely cut in one operation. Um, so it, there's a lot of benefit that comes from that cross mounting, uh, larger optics. I was um, just, I was actually going to ask about that specifically bridging, you know, that's a yep. kind of a conventional wisdom says so that's a bit of a no, no. To, yep. to bridge from the, the end of the receiver to the back end of the handguard. Do you guys have, I, I would imagine that hopefully is a problem you guys have been able to eliminate with this system. The zero issue at all. Um, you, like there's no, there's no flex. There's no, there's no torsion um, uh, bindings that you're going to run into. So that, like, there's, there's no issue. And that's another, like, we looked at everything and said, how does one thing that we're doing, how does each piece affect another? Like, are there any unintended consequences that we haven't thought about? And that's kind of why it's taken two years to get the rifle to where we're like, we're ready. Like, this is it. 
um, because all of those things have been tested over and over and over and the consistency of it is, is there. Um, that those are pieces that are super important to me. You shouldn't be limited by, I've got this much space and I'm trying to do X with it. Um, those, those are things that technology and, and experience across the board. Um, we have enough of that now that it shouldn't be as difficult a task as, as sometimes it is. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, so that, that's a, that's a good, that awesome deep dive into the handguard. I know you guys were, were, were fresh off NRA. Uh, and I, I know you guys just announced formally announced the, the back end, the buffer system upgrade. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, too? that, that one's, that one's, that one's super important to me. And it's, uh, it's one that, uh, you've actually experienced. You've been a big part of as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even from, you know, just coming down and spending time with you. Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm softballing to you, but I, I'm excited because I, you, you offered me the chance to kind of get a, get a look at it, uh, you know, ahead of time. And, uh, I, I personally, it's, that's one of the parts of this, your kind of revision process, um, that I was, I was pretty excited about, but I'll, I'll let, I'll let you run with it. Yeah. Man. No, no, no. It, it's been, it's been great. And you were there from like the beginning of, of kind of that, that, you know, that dive into it as, as well have been, you know, you, you've gone out and tested it, uh, you know, the prototypes with us, it's, um, that's been, that's been super cool to have, you know, multiple avenues of, you know, people in the industry that have, have had a part and had a say and had an input on, on, on what this is. Um, and as I said before, the, the, the buffer system, while it worked and, and that was always tough. Cause it's like, how do we, how do we say something that works? We have to like move off of it and back off of it. But the reality was, um, it was, it was way more complicated than it needed to be. So how do we, how do we more standardize something that has acceptance across the board, but offers more value than what is out there. Um, and Voltor weapon systems has, uh, has, has hit the nail on the head has, you know, hit it out of the park with their a five system. It, it surprises me that, you know, coming off of NRA and coming, you know, from talking with lots of people in the industry that, um, not everyone knows about the A5 system and not everyone has, you know, accepted that as better than what's out there. Um, and uh, for those that don't know, it's, it's a buffer that requires that has a seven position tube instead of a five or a six, it's three quarters of an inch longer than um, a, a standard carbine buffer system. And uh, both in tube and in uh, actual buffer itself, that buffer has four weights instead of three and it has a little spring in the bottom and that spring in the bottom is helps with consistency. It helps, it helps balance out the movement rearward and forward of, um, of those weights and the, the engagement of that on the system. It's something you can super tell, um, when you shoot something full auto, um, it's, it's a night and day difference. Um, but there, there were a couple of things that, that were, um, that were limiting factors with it or, or that I, I felt like we could have more of a, uh, um, a next step to it or, um, something that offered something a little different, um, couple pieces. And so this was like 13 months, I think from, from the initial time frame to, to when we launched it and, uh, Voltor's just been, they've been incredible partners on it. And we've had like, our relationship has grown immensely because of it um brandon down there has become like a really good friend as well as you know someone that it's been interesting because you know i'll come up with an idea or i'll come up with something that um 
I, I want to address. And he, like, he just starts laughing. He's like, I was thinking the same thing I've done. This is, you know, how I've done it, or this is how, you know, I've looked at it. And like the, the pieces is so no, nothing is, is a hundred percent, like just my thought or just my, um, my take on it because, you know, it's been, tr- it's been truly collaborative. And so essentially, oh, you know what? I have one right here. Um, so it's right here and this is the a five, but, um, it's got this little feature on the front that is, is, uh, it, it, we call it an anti-tilt slash, uh, preload feature. And, um, why, why we call it that is, um, yes, it's, a, our guns are DI. They don't have the same issues with uh like the buffer system as or with carrier tilt like as you do with like a piston gun but that's not really the the full point of the the anti-tilt you know we don't have you know piston bumping in and knocking that carrier off off that way what you do have though is you have a flat on a flat you got the flat end of the buffer system or the uh the buffer cap and you have the the flat end of the uh carrier group and those flats create vibration they create a wobble and as that's coming back and you know you got your your gas coming in this way like they're kind of like sliding against each other as they're moving yeah there's no affixment there's there's nothing that keeps them together and so you get this wobble as it goes down uh the the uh the buffer tube or the the lower extension itself um and so this this sits inside a little bit of a carrier and the uh the unique piece is is the uh the what where it sits it doesn't just you know sit on here and you know flush on on the the shoulders here um it sits on this um on this angle and and why that's important is it, it might seem small and it is a small amount but you get a little bit of a preload a little bit of a push onto the um onto the buffer and in preloading that spring so that when you get that disengagement of the lugs um, of the carrier itself, you, d- you don't have as much of a slap or a, like a, a contact that's made off of that. The contact's already there. And so it comes back as a, as a bit of a push instead of a slap. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's a small amount, but it's absolutely noticeable and you can feel it just, just by putting it in there. Um, so that piece is, is, is very cool, very unique. You know, there's, there are other designs out there. And if you go like on a patent search on, on an anti-tilt or a, you know, buffer system, there's lots of them out there. Cobalt had it on theirs, um, you know, in the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, they, they were selling it. Um, there's others out there. If you actually go back in, into history and look at in like really deep dive into, you know, the platform itself in 1956, there was a, there was a buffer that was used that had a, a bulbous cap on it for that specific reason. And so, you know, we don't look at this and say it's, you know, more or less innovative. We say, you know, this is a piece that was actually in an in, intentional, um, uh, part of the the AR, the M4, the M16 history. And so bringing that back and, and, and you know, having data and justification behind it, it's been super, super cool. Um, but yeah, th- th- that piece very, very much, uh, you can feel the difference right away. Um, you've got five different uh, weights for these from an H0 to an H4. On that, the H4 is going to be eight-ish ounces on that side. Um, 
but one of the frustrations that I have is, and we talk about tuning, tuning a rifle, being able to, you know, we've got, my gosh, we've got like five and five and a half inch barrels now all the way up to, you know, we have a 22 inch barrel and we have multiple calibers all running off of a small frame AR type platform. And if we're going to change weights, if we're going to change gas port sizes, if we're going to change calibers, if we're going to change all of those things, gas tube links, um, this system only comes with one spring and, you know, you got a mil spec spring and you've got like a spring coat green that, that is, is traditionally used in it. And they're essentially the same, um, not exactly the same, but the differences are so small, but that we can just call them one spring, spring tension, things like that. But then you look at the carbine spring world and you've got a plethora, you've got, you know, Geisy super 42, you've got, uh, six or so, um, options from spring co you've got the mill spec side we have had at cobalt we've had our own you know we got four of those different springs but nothing you have one on this side and like if if you're going to make a change to a system you need to be able to make a change to the entire system and so um crap i don't actually have one here maybe i should have prepared a little better um there's actually i have a we, we have a collar um, and it's a slip fit sleeve collar, however you want to say it, that goes over this, that takes out, you know, I mentioned it's three quarters of an inch here. The collar actually has a little bit, the, the dimensions a little bit more. Um, and what that does is it elongates the shoulder, the back shoulder here where the, the spring sits. And it, it solves a couple of things. One, it allows you to use any carbine spring on, on an A5 system. Um, the other thing is it's, uh, it, it fills this this space up too, so you've got a lot more surface contact with the tube, and it quiets the system down um, quite a bit noticeably and smooths it out. Um, you know, in, in in talking with some people, you know, anytime you go grab an AR off a wall or, or grab an AR and you start to you know activate that charging handle, pull it back, you hear the spring, you hear the movement, you hear that grindiness, and um, it's not, it's not awesome. Um, <laughs> the, the old carbine twang. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That twang you can, and then like when you, when you fire a gun, sometimes if, if it's not exactly what it should be, you get that, like, uh, that, that spring vibration where you hear the boing, like going on. And, uh, but that allows you to solve that. And it, it allows like, it's, it's super, super noticeable. Um, but being able to adjust all of those things, we don't use adjustable gas blocks. That's one of the changes we made. Um, inherently adjustable gas blocks don't last over time. You, you know, you're, we're going to focus on, on the gas port size being the, the correct size so that you're not having to pinch it off. You're not having to create, you know, add another element of, of breakdown, um, because they, they do, they all break down. You know, if, if you've got a screw tensioner that goes in there, gosh, you put a hundred rounds through it. You're never moving that thing. It's, it's carbon locked in there. And so now you just have premature breakdown over time and you got to replace everything after that. So if you want to adjust your, um, you know, whether you're shooting suppressed, unsuppressed, or you just want a super smooth rifle, um, adjust it from the back, adjust it from something that, that you can actually replace and, and, and mess with over time. So that's, you know, those, those are two very key components of what we did. Like we've had a lot of ancillary benefits out of it. Like we don't use C clips, um, on our port doors, uh, dust cover doors. Um, I, you know, the, the austere environments, I mean, we live in a super, 
like sandy gross desert you know you do, you do too down there and you don't want to get that gunk in there so many procedures when you go to like a rifle class you've got you know closed dust cover that's part of your process in in how things are taught and so um ours it goes into a into a little hole in underneath the handguard set in place by a set screw and then you trap that set screw with the handguard so you're not going to lose your your you know your port door on that side um you know the you know we talked about the 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 barrel engagement you know you can go to into any store that has our guns grab it off the wall and try to like crank that barrel like grab it on the end and, and just try to wib, wiggle it you're not going to get it because it's extremely rigid and that platform just sucks it in super tight it allows the barrel and we're very particular on the barrels we use it allows that barrel to get its maximum potential because it's in an affixed uh spot you're going to get less barrel whip follow-up shots are going to be faster um and yeah you know i actually encourage people to do that like go go crank on that and people ask well is it still free float it's actually more free float than a, than any standard uh, ar platform can be because you're, it's not holding on to a handguard it's not it's not slave to that handguard so it's it is truly free float you know outside of the the gas tube touching um, but that's that's got enough tolerance that it's still it's still floating. It might be touching, but it's still floating. Um, so yeah, just a lot of a, a lot of benefits out of that. That uh, on the front of your on the front of that buffer, you were saying that the the carrier rests in, it rests at a bit of an angle. Uh, does that uh, does that preload the spring? Does that actually preload the buffer spring a little bit? Yeah. 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 That, and that, and that was, that's, that was the intention. Right. So um, you're not, so the spring is not starting from zero. Yes. It's not. Yeah. It's not starting from zero. It's starting from, you know, 1%, like 0.1% or, or whatever that is. It's, it's a little right. bit, but it's noticeable. Um, I, I just started laughing because I grabbed this one to show, cause there is a piece of it that, you know, if you, if, if you start to use it, you're gonna be like, is something wrong? Um, these are, these are anodized aluminum parts that anodizing is, is going to wear if you get, you know, if someone, you know, someone, an out of spec upper that someone's had, you're going to get like marks on it from like the, the, um, retainer pin on there. Um, so that, that's, that stuff's normal, but the, actually the one I grabbed to show this, um, you'll get a kick out of this too. It's got some pings and, and like little dents on the top of it from not having a particular tool to remove a sleeve down in Tucson. And I borrowed a hammer from the back of your truck <laughs> oh yeah i remember yeah. that yeah yeah but it this is uh it it actually shows kind of kind of what i'm talking about there you can you can see where that anodizing that shiny spot on the on the actual um angle itself that's where the carrier sits and that's where it's supposed to sit to get that preload um so that part will get a little boogery and you know it, it it's aesthetically hey, is it a downside the gun's meant to run sure. right Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So with all of that in mind, right, all these changes that you guys have taken hard looks at and, and, you know, done your best to, to develop to their fullest. Right. So if we step off of the, the cobalt chassis specifically, uh, because this is obviously something you've spent a lot of time on in your opinion, broad strokes, general terms, what makes a great AR 15? Oh my gosh. Um, 
yeah, that's it's, a broad it's a strokes. preloaded question. I get that. Yeah. But. Well, it's it comes after me saying context is everything. So thank you. Um, like pull context out. A great AR-15 goes bang when it needs to. And that's something you can rely on because the, the truth of it is it's a, it's it's a it's a machine that is intended to save a life and quite possibly take a life. And in that moment, the only thing that matters is that it goes bang. Um, if we add a little bit more to that, I would say that um, the result of that bang needs to be predictable and consistent. And what, what I mean by that is you need to know that after that first shot, because one shot rarely takes care of anything, that follow-up shot is very dependent on that consistency and that predictability. Um, is the gun going to move a specific way? Well, if it's going to move a specific way, I better know where that's going to be and how I need to either position it or my body. So I think first and foremost, it has to go bang when it needs to. And then you have to know how it's going to go bang. Makes sense, right? Accuracy and reliability is, is kind of what it boils down to, uh, regardless of your regardless of your application, right? 100%. So you mentioned working with, with Viltor specifically on the, on the back end stuff. Um, you've been uh, very fortunate. I've been very fortunate that you've allowed me to kind of take a look at some of this stuff and, and for you to bounce some ideas off me in the past. And uh, so let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit, right? Uh, one of the challenges you talked about earlier was sort of restructuring the perception of the brand. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, some of the other manufacturers that you've partnered with, some of the other SMEs that you guys have started to work with as a brand and, and move with through the industry. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the people you've worked with to, to help you test these rifles, provide feedback, and, and also through that have become essentially de facto representatives of the brand itself. Yeah, like we, they, they become family. Um, they truly have because, you know, one thing that we, we focus on is the, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to be here, if you're going to give input, like you're part of the, the process. And um, so, you know, we started out and, and very, very few people know about uh, this side. Um, I'm kind of just putting it out there and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more um, from the cobalt side um, as we go. But um, there's a uh, former special operations guy uh, by the name of Rick Hogg. Um, he's got a company, Warhog Tactical. He does uh, a lot of training and stuff. He was actually the first uh, SME that, that we spent time with, utilized. He's one of the very first people to get one of the very, very first um, rifles that went out in uh, November of 2020. And uh, he's been the most critical, um, the most... Uh, honest. And, and when I say honest, like raw, raw honesty, like zero concern for like my feelings, anyone's feelings. And it's, th those are the people that I, I go after. And I want to like, I want someone who's going to like, not bullshit me at any turn. Like if there's a problem, if there's an issue, if there's, you know, a preference, they're going to tell me without any regard for like tact. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's not a tactful person or that anyone that we work with is not, it doesn't have tact, but I don't ask for that. I ask for like, give me what you think, period. And uh, he's given so much input and, in, in, you know, aesthetic wise, like small features wise that, that I, I look and I see on the rifle today. And it's like Rick's name's all over that thing. And uh, 
because of who he is and, and where he, he came from, it wasn't something we talked about much with people because, you know, it, it was, it's a process to develop something in, I, you know, without the full context behind it, I don't want people to, to, to have uh, weird thoughts or, 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 you know, a thought that isn't correct on that. So, um, but he, he's been a massive part. Um, Kawa Malé, uh, former Green Beret. Um, he was our first kind of public person that, that started working with us shortly after that. Um, uh, John Dufresne, Mocha Bear, Duffy, a man of many names and uh, limited um, preference on food with desserts, mostly cookies and ice cream. Yep. Um, Joe Farewell, um, incredibly successful and talented uh, competitive shooter that has a law enforcement background. Um, that blend of duty, you know, competition to, to duty grade or, or, or duty capable rifle. Um, he's been incredibly um, helpful on bridging that gap. Um, Ray Helms, uh, he, X-Ring channel on, on YouTube. He, he works with Microtech Knives, um, but is, you know, 30-year law enforcement guy, SWAT sniper, um, incredibly successful uh, multi-gun competitor as well as PRS shooter. I mean, Precision World, he is, he is a, a big deal there. And he, he's, he's a guy that, again, has a, has a, has a very strong opinion on things and he's not, not afraid to, to tell it like he sees it. And that kind of input's been, you know, so our SPR line, he's had massive input on that. Um, Chris Way, another precision shooter that doesn't come from the shooting world or the tactical world that comes from a, a very much, uh, you know, he got into the sport and loves the sport, but he excels at it because he's, you know, very science-based, very, very context-driven and doesn't care what, you know, is the way that it has been done. Um, uh, more recently, Don Edwards with Greenline Tactical, and he brings a whole slew of uh, instructors on his side that takes the, the, the platform from, you know, a daytime shooting rifle to a nighttime shooting rifle and, and does everything apply correctly there? Um, uh, and then we brought on people to, to work with us. Mike Paez, that was, uh, uh, with Sons of Liberty for the last six years and, you know, the QC side of things, the, the quality that's coming out the door, that's what he's responsible for now. And he's, you know, I knew that he wouldn't take crap coming out the door as acceptable. Um, Gabe Cabrera, um, he does the, the, the revenue side, the marketing and sales side, that's, you know, marketing's his world and where Cobalt had a, a shaky reputation. I wanted someone who came from the marketing side, the brand reputation, the, the, the brand side itself to run the sales side. I don't care that, you know, we start out selling whatever the number of, of rifles we need to, it, it, that's, that's, that, that was never, that, that to me is a, a recipe for, um, frustrated customers, frustrated dealers, frustrated, you know, end users on that side. So I wanted someone who would, who would attack that world with a focus on the brand. Like we can do X as long as it doesn't, you know, get us in a bad spot where the quality could go down or someone's expectations isn't there. Um, you know, the manufacturers we work with, we, we choose them very carefully. We, we work with Roscoe manufacturing on, on our pro series barrels and the reason being they make a phenomenal product and incredible value, but consistency is, is better there than, than I've seen with most people. And I don't have, a, you know, 
years and years of experience on things, but it's, it's the experience that I, that I have with the brands that I do. And they've been not only a great provider of, of parts, but the consistency that, that, they, that they have. And then the partnership that we've created has been um, amazing. You know, I mentioned Voltor, same thing. They, they come with a, a, an incredible reputation, but they've also been just phenomenal partners. Proof research on the, the SPR line. You know, I've always, I was always skeptical on carbon fiber barrels and I've always um, been concerned about consistency that comes out. That, that's again, consistency is, is absolutely paramount. And I've learned so much from them because they're an aerospace company. Like they, their engineers have, have reason behind everything. And, you know, I've learned things about the carbon fiber world and how that interacts with steel and how the bonding process actually works, the wrap works. And um, so I, I work with people that can not only provide what um, I'm looking for, but also educate me and are willing to share and educate me um, to better be a, an expert on what I'm putting into my guns and what I'm, you know, putting out there saying, you know, putting my name on, putting out there saying, no, you should absolutely trust this and, and giving me that, that understanding so that, you know, one day I become a, a, a subject matter expert on anything that goes out my door. Super important. I think, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit before about, about this industry being full of people who are, you know, passionate and or SMEs in their own right. And that's what brought them here uh, on the professional level. Um, but we, you do, j just like in any other industry, right? There are still um, not everyone um, is an expert on their own products. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's really important. So, yeah. Uh, uh, we, one more, sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, Please go ahead. I was, I was going into, I was going into this, um, you know, in, the you know one one super like a, a very special relationship we have um is uh with condition one group out of miami um it's a it's a training group that 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 is their focus that is their their whole mission and, and they focus really on a big on a on a niche inside of that world and in the and the uh, cqb side of things but they also do they do precision shooting they do you know basic rifle pistol all of all of those things but they have a really big focus on the the cqb world all you know the, the instructors, the owners, they're um, former tier one guys. And they bring a, they bring that different, you know, we got Don on the, the night side. We've got Duffy that is just as, as, as big a deal on, on the night fighting side, but then also has, you know, he's always teaching on that side, bringing that CQB side of things in as well as being, you know, a, a retailer in um, kind of a focus point there. They've been, they've been super instrumental as well as, you know, we've had a long, long relationship with them. And so giving that they, they have a, everyone that we work with has an, an innovative side. They all aren't afraid to like do something new, do something that hasn't been there. And so our testing evaluation side, we've got so many people doing it and so many people running things um, that, you know, they just happen to have quite a few people and, and then they see a lot of people and, and let them, let them shoot this stuff. So we get the feedback that they have as professionals, as well as the instruction that they give to people that are brand new and saying, Hey, I like this because of this. How do you like it as, as a newer shooter, as someone who's learning some of this stuff. And, and that's what we're, we're being able to cater and be dynamic in how we, how we develop stuff, hitting every single aspect of professional to newbie and that's been that's been super cool 
I'm actually really glad that you brought up uh, using your SMEs to interface with newer shooters. It sets me up really well for my next question, which is this. Uh, so you got to imagine at least some of the folks tuning in are either already cobalt consumers or were cobalt consumers in the past or are prospective consumers of your product. What do you want to tell them about what's coming next from cobalt? Um, what, what's coming next? What, what's coming next is, uh, it's not a, not a break from R and D and, and movement. Um, but it, it will be a break from major changes or, or what's coming in a big way. Um, because we're the, the rifle's done like our, our journey for for cobalt 2.0 has a um has a platform that is like i'm 100 percent confident in it and 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 i'm i don't say that lightly and i don't say that um you know gimmicky or um to push anything out there i truly am 100 percent confident in any any of the guns that i carry with me or that I, that i have around um because it's been a process that has been brutal, brutal, like to get through, but brutal on the firearms themselves. Um, we test them a lot. And so it's time for, for that piece to shine and to, for, for that, um, that final product to get out there and, and be able to mature in, in the market. And so um, you probably won't see a, a, a platform change, you know, we, do we have an, an, what we call an XL platform, a large frame AR platform, 308, 65 Creedmoor, other calibers, um, coming out. Absolutely. We do like it's, uh, the designs are done. Um, the concepts are, are being vetted. Um, but we're, it's probably going to be a little bit of time before that's, that's, that's out in the market. Um, we'll have little things here and there, but the, there's going to be a maturing side and letting that, letting that product out there and, and it be the focus. Um, what you can expect as a customer is that um, our doors always open, our, our, our emails always answered and our phone is, I'm not gonna say always gotten to because we are busy, but um, if you leave a message, we'll always get back with you. We love hearing feedback from the consumers and we love um, getting input and, um, suggestions from them. Um, look at the end of the day, the, the, it's a machine and it's, it's a machine that's handcrafted and put together by, by one person. And so, you know, if there's, if there's ever an issue, like a, like a, a Cerakote is, is, is not, uh, you know, you got a dry spot here or there, or you've got, you know, it, whatever, whatever, whatever is an issue or whatever concerns as a consumer you would have, um, like we're going to take care of you. All of our products come with a lifetime warranty and it's not a limited lifetime warranty. If, if you feel like something isn't up to where it needs to be, or you're not a hundred percent satisfied, you better believe we're going to, we're going to make that right. Um, the reputation of the brand is super important to me. Um, but again, at the end of the day, the gun has to go bang when it needs to. And you as a consumer have to have that confidence in that platform to do so. Cause if the gun goes bang, but you don't have confidence, it's not an efficient system. You've got to have that complete confidence and efficiency that you know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and when you want it to happen. And so um, we love our customers to be part of that same family. You know, um, 
I think that's something that's always been missing in, in our space. We, we talk about the 2A community and um, the community aspect of it is often overlooked and it's a we versus them or it's a, you know, they don't care because they're so big. That's not us and it won't ever be us. Um, we're about building this community. We're about building onto a, um, a value to the industry, to the, to the, to that, to the second amendment. And, uh, as a consumer, you're just as much part of that as we are. So where do we go? If we want to look at more information, uh, www. I don't think we need to say that anymore, actually. So cobaltkinetics.com, all one word, C O B A L T K I N E T I C S.com. Um, you can kind of follow our journey on Instagram at cobalt kinetics, um, all one word. We, uh, that we were fortunate enough to be able to get that. And, uh, you know, the previous one was cobalt.kinetics, but do not be confused by that. It is at cobalt kinetics, all one word. Um, you know, our phone numbers on, it might be on there. It's for sure on our website, call us, email us. My email is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at cobaltkinetics.com. Um, I love hearing from people. I love answering questions. I love talking about the product as I've kind of dominated a lot of conversation today. So, um, I love, I love discussing it. I love discussing the journey and, and the results and, and what we, what we've uh, been able to accomplish. Um, we are going to be doing some YouTube videos, putting, you know, we talked earlier in the conversation about education. Um, there's a lot of education missing and it's been held back a lot. You know, you want to talk about Springs, you want to talk about like how, how the buffer system works, the science behind it and, and what's necessary for it. I'm going to give you all of that. I'm going to give you a way to identify and look up spring rates and dimensions of springs that are, that are, are critical in a, a functioning platform. And so um, not really going to be the guy to, to tell you how to build a gun. Um, lots of people out there, lots of videos, lots of ways to do that, but it's going to be about education. And that's a big piece that's going to be coming is education on what makes the platform work and why it needs to. And uh, yeah, that, that's something I'm super excited about. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I'm sure you have a thousand other things on your plate. So getting to spend this time with you has been great. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to really let us take a, a hard look and a deep dive into the, into the Cobalt brand and where you guys came from and where you guys are heading. So once again, I'm Tom Marshall. This has been uh, Aaron Quinn with Cobalt Kinetics. And uh, thank you so much for tuning into Recoil Live. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tom. Of course. Thank you.